0: Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I just wanted to discuss the timeline of this season. Our episodes are not necessarily presented in the order we recorded them, and these conversations took place over the course of the past few months. Therefore, we may touch on some, but not all, current events. That being said, Victoria and I want to express our love and support for all using their voices for positive change. Hey, guys. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sarah DeForest, And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a
1: podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. Welcome to episode two, where we have a chat with recording artist, Mickey Guyton. We invite you to pull up a chair and get
0: super, super comfortable because everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop, you. Don't, don't, let them stop. stop you. don't let them stop Don't let them stop Don't let them stop Mickey Guyton is a powerhouse country music artist and songwriter originally from Texas. She began singing in church at a young age and has always drawn from a diverse group of classic pop and country influences. Mickey started in the music industry in Los Angeles before moving to Nashville and signed with Capitol Records Nashville in 2011. She first appeared at an all-star White House concert captured by PBS and released her self-titled EP in 2015, featuring her debut single. Better Than You Left Me, co-written with Jennifer Hansen, Jen Schott, and Nathan Chapman, which made Country Aircheck history as the single highest one-week ad total for a debut first single. Mickey was nominated for her first Academy of Country Music Award for New Female Vocalist in 2016 and performed I'm Standing With You from the Breakthrough Movie soundtrack at this year's ACM Awards with Chrissy Metz, Carrie Underwood, Lauren Elena, and Maddie and Tay. She also has a song featured on the movie's soundtrack called Hold On, written with Karen Kozowski and Victoria Banks. Mickey has been featured by an array of TV shows and publications, including CBS This Morning's Gale King, ABC's Good Morning America, NBC's Today Show, People Magazine's American Voices feature, Billboard Magazine's Country Music's Female Game Changers, and Entertainment Weekly's New Queens of Country Music. Recently, Mickey released two powerful songs rooted in her experience as a black woman in country music. They call out topics often too taboo to address in our industry, such as gender discrimination, sexual harassment, and racism. These singles, What Are You Gonna Tell Her?, co-written by Victoria Banks, Karen Kazowski, and Emily, and Black Like Me?, co-written by Fraser Churchill, Emma Davidson-Dillon, and Nathan Chapman, have been received with rave reviews and inspired industry-wide discussions on inclusivity, diversity, and fair treatment. She is fearless, confident, intelligent, kind, and has a story that has and will change the landscape of country music forever. We could not be more thrilled to share our conversation at the table with Mickey Guyton. I didn't realize that you had started out in the music industry in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, How did that all kind of happen for you, and what was your experience there?
2: Well, I just, you know... I did a lot of background vocals and stuff out in LA. It's, it really just goes to show when you say you want to do something, it will happen. You know, like you you speak it into the universe. I know that sounds super like,
1: so true. I totally believe hipster
2: that. or something. I don't know, but no, I truly truly believe it because I was in the rooms with some of the craziest people in my like crazy massive stars that I should have never been in a room with. Whether it was Prince. Whether it was Patti LaBelle, Babyface, whomever. I, I started out doing a lot of background vocals and stuff in L.A. And I just, my heart always belonged to country music. That's just like kind of where I grew up. I grew up in the South, in Waco, Texas, or Crawford, Texas. And my grandmother was a huge Dolly Parton fan. And... She's the one that introduced me to country music essentially, and it was Leanne Rhymes that I discovered um, when I heard her sing the national anthem at a Texas Rangers baseball game, is when I wanted to be a singer. And it's just like, you have all these life events and then it brings you here. I literally said, man, I really wanna sing country music, but I don't think anybody would ever accept me for that. Like I would never be accepted, there's not a me there. And then the next thing, you know, I, I was telling it to a dear friend of mine and she says, well, just do it. Just do whatever you want. And then opportunity literally fell on my lap from a hip hop DJ I knew.
0: I love that. That's something that we've heard people speak a little bit about. But behind the scenes, that's something that I hear from pretty much every woman that I talk to is for whatever reason and whatever capacity in their life, they didn't feel like they had a, an opportunity or a space to be there and then something happened, God moments, spiritual intervention, whatever you wanna call it, something happened. What was, was there a tipping point for you or a specific thing that made you make the move to Nashville?
2: Yes, very specific. Um, so what ended up happening, I met um, a guy named Julian Raymond who works over at Big Machine and he was living in LA at the time, and his managers are now my managers, and they introduced me to a a pretty famous producer that I started working with, and they got me my record deal in Nashville. It's literally, it sounds like it'd be a lot different. It was a lot longer of a process. the process of getting me to that point was way more difficult than getting to that point. If that makes sense, you know, where you hit your rock bottom is usually where you find your biggest breakthrough. And, you know, I was working two jobs and I was heartbroken in LA and I was literally the day that I was getting ready to tell my parents I was moving back home to Texas. I got fired from my job. And from that, that chain of events, the day that I was getting ready to go home, I ran into this old DJ that I knew years before who was like, let me introduce you to my boy, Julian Raymond, who was producing Glenn Campbell's record at the time.
1: Wow, that's wild. I didn't know that. I didn't know that part of the story. Oh, yeah, girl. And a horrible boss.
0: Oh, that's the worst. Did you did you ever work in um, the service industry at all? I feel like, okay, I grew, up, cause I grew up in a restaurant, been oh. doing that since the day I was born. I think... Every single artist slash writer has done it. I feel like (laughs) it should be be like a high school requirement to do service industry. I feel like like everyone has to do it once to know what that's
1: like. I mean, it kind of it teaches you humility and how freaking hard work can be. And like, oh, my gosh. Honestly,
2: it really does. I feel like every human being should be required to work at a restaurant at yeah. least once in their life so that it shows you how, like you said Victoria humility and shows you how to treat people with respect and treat yeah. the people that are serving you with respect.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I always said that I would be able to tell the quality of person I was dating by how they treated the servers 100% when we went out somewhere. Girl, you know? 100% like that just says so much about somebody yeah, yeah nowadays exactly. uber as well i've had that experience
0: yeah. the way some people talk to to uber drivers i'm like I, we can stop the date right now <laughs> i'm yeah. i'm good yeah um, that, well like you said it was a really long experience it seems very true hollywood story because that's mm-hmm. the the fun parts to talk about yeah but your time in between and even after that deal what was your experience like as a woman in Nashville and as a black woman in Nashville, because I mean, you're releasing some incredible content where you're just like, I don't care if other people think it's taboo, I'm gonna speak my truth. And there's, I mean, you were signed in 2011, right? So almost 10 years after you signed of all of this experience, what has that been like for you?
2: Well, I think the music pretty much speaks for what I was really going through. I got signed, and I remember Mike Dungan telling me, he said, it's really hard for women in Nashville, but you can do it. And I was like, okay, I've got this in the bag, it's really hard for women, can't be that hard for women. I've lived in LA, I mean, it's it's the hardest in LA, allegedly, no, it's actually way harder in Nashville. You know, it's crazy. Victoria's been along for the whole ride, really. She was one of the first people that I started writing with. And when I first got there, I was just this bright eyed, bushy tail, wanting to play the Nashville rules, the Nashville way, you know, every time. There was a studio session. I didn't get any say-so. I just had an album producer, and he would hire whomever session players he wanted to hire. And then I would get there, and they would just insert my vocal into the song because I was the last thing that anybody ever considered. Like, my decisions were not mine. My hair was not mine. My skin was not mine. My voice was not mine for years. And then I saw so many women come and go in this town like and by the time they're out like their spirits are completely crushed the sexual harassment that i've gone through that many of them go through even more than i do the comparisons the the cattiness because you're pitted against each other The the completely losing who I was as an artist because every time I turned in a song, it wasn't enough because it was too R&B. Radio wasn't going to play it. There were all these reasons why telling women, telling me why it will not work instead of telling us how it will work. Years of it, I developed a drinking problem because of it. I... I was just existing in this world. I was bitter. I was angry. I was silent from the racism that I had been experiencing. All of that got me to this point of releasing these new songs. And as difficult as it was, I honestly don't believe that God, that I could convey these songs the way that I'm able to now and able to not give a shit, pardon my language, about what anybody says or thinks because their way clearly isn't working for anybody. Like, I I don't know a single person that that way is working for.
1: Yeah, it felt like at at the beginning, we were all trying to play by the rules, right? These rules and trying to please everyone and give them what they wanted to hear and stay within the lines of what's acceptable on country radio and right inside that box and, and spin everything to the positive and sugarcoat it all and make it this beautiful little wrapped package. And, and we, the more we did that, the more we did that, the more we did that, nothing ever broke through, nothing ever happened. And it was just for anybody, for anybody. Yeah. It took reaching that level of, just sheer frustration and anger to get to the point to, of having the guts to just tell the cold, hard, brutal truth in songs and not care where they were going to go from there. Yeah. And that was what, ironically, what <laughs> has gotten all this attention yeah. for you. And it's such a beautiful thing when you can look back on a pattern like that and see a, see some sense in it after having gone through all of that, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. There were some really dark times i know for you mickey when you really considered walking away from what you're doing which would be a travesty and a loss to the industry far beyond what anybody realizes like you're incredibly talented you're talented as a songwriter you're talented as a musician you're talented as a producer i mean there are so many sides to you and what you represent and what your realm of experience is is different than what anybody else has in nashville and it's this huge contribution to our genre so i think people are seeing that now finally i mean are you getting the sense that people are seeing that i i I am getting that sense it's really
2: really crazy to feel that way because all of this music that we have been creating yes it's me but there's a part of us in every single one of these songs, like it's I'm singing my pain, but it's also your pain too. You know, and like, I I just remember some of those days where we would have a writing session a, a night writing session. And first of all, to be an artist in Nashville, where other fantastic writers will sacrifice their time with and with their from their fam, away from their families for you. That is a major honor that so many artists completely take for granted. And I just remember us having a night write and you being comp- you coming into that night right, completely flustered and upset because you were in a room full of other writers male that completely discounted you as a writer and any of your ideas, and you're one of the best. The, I, I tell people all the time that you are a Nashville treasure. You are literally a treasure to this society, to this this genre because of your spirit and your the your the way that you write songs. It's insane like we're not worthy and your heart is in that in that song what are you going to tell her too
0: like that's all of us so I have to say it's a real pleasure to get to see you two interact um, because as someone who's young and starting out in the industry I started out when I was 15 in LA trying to do this professionally and I would drive eight hours and go I didn't I think I worked with one woman in the four years I was based in LA and um and it's a real pleasure to get to watch female collaborators interact and have so much love and respect for each other and I know that one of the biggest things Victoria has always told me about you is that you are wholeheartedly, 110%, a champion for your collaborators. You talk about them, you say their names, you bring them on stage with you, you give them credit, which sounds like such a small thing to do, but in this industry, songwriters don't even get like their names in lyric descriptions and all of these different things you i have a hard time googling who wrote a song for a number one hit and trying to figure out who that was so in this wow. industry to uphold the people that help you build the career that you want is a really powerful thing and i want to thank you as a oh my songwriter God. and an artist and also on behalf of
1: Victoria, I think because I've seen how much joy it brings to her to see that. I always say that I think that I think it's because you've been in the business long enough working without that feel good moment that happens that you realize how important those are to all of us. And so you bring us along on the way. I mean, if you are my people, I'm bringing you all
2: the way up there with me because I don't know how people can take complete credit of something. I don't understand how you could do that because I cannot do that because there was too much magic that happened. That wasn't all because of me.
0: Yeah. You know, you know, unfortunately some women in the industry are not as up for helping up other women because they feel like there's limited seats. And if they have one and they help someone else, they're going to lose theirs. And mm-hmm. the way we change that is by not, you know, going with the status quo and breaking Absolutely. it. My favorite quote is patriarchy has no gender by bell hooks. And it's my favorite thing ever to talk about with people because this industry is hard enough as it is without all of that other stuff. So what was the point for you where you felt like you were really starting to get in that groove of creating the things you wanted to create and having people that were celebrating that creation and things started to fall into place? Was there one or was it kind of a slow burn?
2: Yeah, well, it started off slow. I had just been up every single night for years to like four or five o'clock in the morning, just trying to think of how to turn things around. Like I could not, I was going down this destructive path that was just never going to turn out any way for me. You know, I started looking at all the different albums that I loved so much, or that had gotten a lot of praise over the years. And the common denominator here is it was a like they had a group Of writers the same writer team with throughout the project and so I started thinking because I was going and having all these different writing sessions all the time and my music was just all over the place so I started thinking back on all the people that I've really really connected with through the years that I always wanted to get back in the studio with, and Victoria Banks was one of the first people that came to my mind. And so I started, I called my management and I was like, Hey, let's, I'd really like to just start writing with the same writers. And I think Victoria Banks should be one of those people. And so we just started booking these writing sessions with, with Victoria and like the songs were just so good, like we were just like, Oh my God. and during that time, I was also going to therapy and stuff like that. So
1: yeah, you were uncovering a lot of things, unpacking a lot of mm-hmm. things that I think, I think like sister, when we wrote sister, that was probably kind of the beginning of that That's, time. That right. Yeah. And that, that song is exactly about what you were just saying about women celebrating and holding up other mm-hmm. women instead of cutting them down or like putting pitted against each other in competition. So um that that was kind of the first time that we identified something that we wanted to say that was opposite to what people were doing yeah and and just kind of shouted it yeah (laughs) yeah
2: and from then on it was like every time we got in the writing session i would we would just every song just kept getting better and better and better and then i started looking within my record label and and starting to be more present there and getting Cindy Mabe. I requested that she really be a huge part of my project because she is so innovative and so smart and she's a woman. And so then I started thinking, man, like I need to write this whole album with women. If women get each other, the only people that get each other are women. And, And it's just, It was a slow, quick burn, and this was like over like a two and a half, three year period of me completely turning this around by starting to write with Victoria.
1: That's so wild because it's like just the fact that you thought that and then it became what it was, and you also during that time really started to, at least from my perspective, know yourself Mm -hmm. and I guess maybe the therapy was part of that too but you you started to know yourself like in a whole new way and you were looking at things that maybe most people are afraid to look at about yourself and you would come into the writing sessions and say this is what I want to write about and you would have a thought you would have a concrete idea of what you wanted to say and that would give us a starting point to go from um, but like very raw, very vulnerable, very real. And um, I think that was where you started like digging down into yourself to mm-hmm. a new a new level. It's and crazy. Maybe, do you think the therapy was part
2: of that? The therapy was absolutely a part of that. Because that's when I, I was still like having experiencing insomnia, but it was like good insomnia because it was like my... I was, my brain was locked because there was a lot of stuff that I hadn't mentally dealt with in my life from my childhood up into my adulthood and in my own marriage. And it was healing this huge hole in my heart and I was slowly, quickly actually, Becoming unangry and and not so bitter and and woe is me and able to like able to accept where I was at that point in my life.
0: It's amazing what just acknowledging hurt and shame and whatever it is and just being actually honest with yourself. I know for me, I find it sometimes harder to be honest with myself than other people, and it's really incredible what acknowledging that and just sitting with it can do for you. And I, I want to talk specifically about what are you going to tell her, and you mentioned earlier about the sexual harassment in this industry, and I think it's still something in this side of the entertainment industry people are kind of afraid to talk about. And I know for for me, I spent my college years, I did a social justice whole focus and my focus was in sexual assault and human trafficking and a big part of that was just having conversations with people and people don't realize how much they've experienced until you ask them or until you share a story and I know just in the couple of years that I've been based in Nashville I've had so many female collaborators tell me stories we've written songs about it and we I've also heard of you know a couple sessions where we didn't even write a song because you know I've heard of exposés happening, that all of these different things. And then miraculously, they just never came out. All of these crazy things. And I don't think our part of the industry has had our kind of Me Too reckoning yet. And I feel like that it song, needs to, that song, like I did not know I needed it. I did not know. <laughs> and I don't think the audiences knew they wanted it, needed it, or would be willing to hear it until they did so i want to know how that song came about how that felt for you how it felt to perform it at the Ryman and then get such feedback what was that like well
2: obviously i've dealt with a lot of horrible situations in my life since i was a little girl up until my adulthood and It never really goes away you can put it in the back of your head but it never goes away that trauma doesn't ever go away but i had quit drinking back in back in september i'm i'm sober now and so my thank you and so my mind is really i don't even know how to describe it but your mind is so clear and i was in la on a sunday i was there for the grammys and I was going to fly back to Nashville to write with Victoria, Karen Kosowski and Emily. And the only reason I was going back to Nashville was for them. If it weren't for them, I wouldn't have gone. So I was going to a, the UMG Grammy after party. And, you know, I walked down the red carpet that I did not belong at. And people were like, who is this person? Not kidding. And I attend the, um, the UMG after party. and. I remember at one point in time, my management went to go and introduce me to like one of the heads of the heads of one of those streaming services, and he was a man, and I was str- still struggling in my career. This is before we even wrote, What Are You Going to Tell Her?, and I was still getting really frustrated with my label and was kind of giving up at that point, to be perfectly honest. But in the, my last ditch effort, I went to this UMG Grammy after party and my, I meet this guy. And I instantly felt myself perk up, bat my eyelashes and smile while my husband's standing behind us, further back, by the way. And I remember I felt so disgusted with myself in that very moment. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't need to perk up and bat my eyelashes to be accepted and for my talent to be seen. I don't need to do that. And then I remember I looked around the room and there was Billie Eilish and Haley Steinfeld and just these beautiful women. And then there were all these men in suits, old men in suits infiltrated all around us. And I looked at this and I was like, we don't own ourselves. And this oppression of women is a a pandemic. And so I flew to to Nashville at 5 a.m. that morning and I got to this writing session completely charged from that session. And we just talked about it and it was heavy and I cried a lot because it was just so devastating because at that moment, I felt like this was never going to end. This will never change. Like nothing's ever going to be done for any woman in the music industry, not just songwriters. That means women in the record companies as well and women in radio. This will never change and we are being owned and we don't have a say-so and we don't have anything. And it was devastating. And that's where that song came from.
1: That's true. That's like, I, I felt the same way. It was like this cry of despair writing mm-hmm. that song. Yeah. Absolute cry of despair. And I remember all four of us, like it was the first time the four of us women had been in the room together writing. And all four of us were absolutely just crying our eyes out. And And it was like every line that we came up with, it just hurt, you know, it's like, okay, so what's the next thing we're going to say? And the next thing we're going to say, and they were all just like, they hurt brutally. And then we were crying about, we were crying because we couldn't believe that we had to say this. Like, it's so wrong that it's the truth. And then at the end of the writing session, Mickey goes in, to sing the song because we write it in the studio with Karen Kazowski, who's a co-writer and the producer on the track and so Mickey you had to go into the vocal booth and sing the song and I don't know how you did it I know that I mean you were crying so hard
2: we, we had to we take a break we had to take a break yeah I was exhausted because with no for with not having any sleep and and it was crazy it was like again when you hit rock bottom is when you see your biggest breakthrough and
1: and then from that song we weren't thinking about radio though right like no we, we weren't thinking about radio at no, all we were thinking we about just writing the truth and we didn't care who heard it or or we did, we kind of figured nobody would care yeah. so we just didn't <laughs>
2: And even, and even when I was singing it, I didn't realize it was going to come out like that, you know? I knew it was beautiful when we were writing it. But then when it came, when I got the recording of it, I just wept. Like I, I sat in my car and I turned it up as loud as it could go. And I just had my hands on my face and I was just sobbing. And I sobbed for a long time. Like, at least I had to listen to that song about a 100 times before I couldn't cry anymore.
1: Yeah, because then you had to play it. You had yes. to debut it. At yeah. The, at, no, so not only does Mickey debut this song as the one song that she performs at the Ryman Auditorium at country radio seminar in front of all of the radio programmers across the United States and Canada, all over the world. Yeah. And they're all in this audience. And basically, it's every artist on the label gets up and sings one song. And so there's all these, you know, one song singles, there's, uh, there's guy and guy and guy and guy and guy and guy. And, and then there's Mickey, and she walks up and she sings this song. And it's like, punching everybody completely right in the gut. (laughs) It was crazy because it was so different from everything else. And it was like taking the elephant in the room that everybody knew was there and just pulling it down and going, hey, guys, look, it's still happening. I think you can actually
0: feel all the women in the room in that video go, oh, my God, I have experienced all of that in some form. And every man in the room go, I have never had to think about this in my life. Pretty and much. And then thinking about their
2: daughters yeah. and their mothers and their grandmothers. It it really that song, it does it says so much with the question.
1: What did that feel like when you mm-hmm. when you got up on stage to sing that? Did you go on, into that moment thinking something remarkable was gonna happen? I, I kept telling myself,
2: this is probably going to end my career. Mm but it's not about me right now. This song isn't about me. This song is literally about every single woman in the world, in the world. That's what that song is for. I just said, this is, it's not about me. It's not about me. And I walked out there and I stood there and I just sang the song and I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no clue, but when they stood up for me, Normally, I would have just ran off the stage of embarrassment. No, I stood there. I took that moment because I knew how important it was. And it changed my viewpoint as an artist. And it it changed what I wanted out of being an artist. And I realized in that moment that there's so much power in your voice and in your truth. And no matter what anybody says... If you're standing in your truth and claiming it, who can, who can fault you for it? Who's gonna, who's gonna get mad at you for that? And I realized the power of my voice and that I have to use my voice to help everyone in this industry, help women, stand up for women because a lot of them don't know how to stand up for themselves. They're scared to stand up for themselves.
1: Well and you've continued to to use your voice that way with your new single so black like me. Yeah. Um you put that out. Did you just put that out yourself on your on your socials and just like release it that way? I love that because it just the world needed it and you yeah. put it there and the reaction that has uh, so you've always had a a strong fan base of hardcore fans. Yeah, How does that, how has that changed? How has that evolved with all of this process? It's, let
2: me tell you, it's crazy. That song, Black Like Me, I, I put that song up on my socials back in March after I saw the video of Ahmaud Arbery being shot and killed because he was the wrong color in a neighborhood. And it got a really big response there. And I, I just was like low-key putting it out there because I was like, Well, you know, like there's unjust there's injustice happening and I have a song that addresses it. Why are we not, you know, releasing it? And I did it again when I saw George Floyd, and then I told my management on a Friday, I said, Friday the Friday before Black Tuesday, I told my management, I was like We really need to start thinking about releasing Black Like Me. At least having the conversation, what in whatever capacity that might be. On Monday, I'm waking up to like six missed phone calls, and it's my manager. They're like, um, they want to release Spotify called for um, Black Like Me, and they want to release it on Blackout Tuesday. I was like, Hallelujah!
1: And things don't work that fast in the music industry, normally. (laughs) They don't.
2: But the crazy thing is we had this song mastered back in like November or December. So it was ready to go. It was like served on a diamond platter for
1: him. Well, it's happened that way with both of the songs, right? Because yeah. usually the, the music industry works like a dinosaur. Like it's, uh, it's, you would think they were carving the things out of stone to get them out there. Things uh, take so long to do. And there's so much so like long. Uh, paralysis by analysis all uh. the time and the fact that with with both of these recent singles it's been like you wrote them and the recording was done and they're out there and it's kind of like they were just t- they were just timely they were just right. needed they were necessary and the gatekeepers called
0: you which i think is amazing cuz for anyone who's not in the industry that doesn't happen like it's a struggle to get your music on playlists let alone radio but streaming in general is crazy so to have them call you and did that release just amplify everything else are you guys working absolutely on a, a yes. body of work to now release i'm assuming i yes, yes
2: yes we've actually been working this whole quarantine i've been recording songs over zoom with Karen Kosowski and it has it's just we're cranking him out we have not stopped working over here but um it has expedited everything and not only has it expedited everything it's like it's helped show everybody else what my music has been all along uh, it was really hard because in country music everybody always wants to compare you to something oh she's Carrie Underwood oh she's whatever other faith hill you know any of these women and that's who they, they want to compare you and so they can compartmentalize you and put you in some some box but like it is not 1992 it is 2020 like there is no formula on how to get how to work an artist and get them out there like it's there's so many different avenues And with these two songs, it enabled and and the nature of the world right now, it enabled people to realize like I'm writing my truth about social injustices. And that's that is my platform. And it's always been my platform. I've always been writing about how to get over something or to become better off. Like that's all I've always had a purpose with writing. It's not just, oh, give me a summer hit.
1: (laughs) And
0: you know, yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to talk about something real quick, just because you mentioned the the summer songs and a couple of things you said earlier um, in an article I was reading by NPR. You had you said something along the lines of I don't need to sing about liking boys. I have a man. And I loved that because we have talked so much about you know on the on the male side, guys singing about girls and their little feet and their tiny little shorts and all their little things and it's it's tiny super little weird. ways. Yeah, you're like it, it's like I'm it's like, what is perpetually this a, a child. <laughs> yes, and and yeah. you know on the flip side for women, I feel like so much of what women are quote unquote allowed to release is stuff about crushes and flings and having fun and parties and just the flip side of that an occasional, heartbreak, an occasional, you know, an occasional heartbreak occasional heartbreak, yeah. heartbreak. Um, sometimes a little more leeway if you're in a duo or a trio or something but that whole thing is really it puts you in such a tiny little box and you know and also that says a lot about what this industry thinks of women and age. Because I know for me, I'm 23, and I was hearing when I was 17, about to turn 18, oh shoot, we can't play the young card anymore. And I was like, I am literally still a teenager. I don't understand. Like and, I barely graduated high school. Yeah. What are you talking about? So, you know, and you've you've spoken so much about, about the intersection of age and gender and race and all of those different things. Are you? I really am curious as to if you're you're wanting to tackle more of of the age side of it, and if you're you're willing to have that discussion a little bit here about what that part of this has been for you, because it's so prevalent, we don't talk about it.
2: Absolutely, you know, I just turned thirty seven, and. While I was struggling to get a shot and a chance, every year, and the older you get, the faster it goes. It's like you blink your eye and you're like, what, it's Christmas, it's Christmas right now. It'll be freaking March and I'm saying it's Christmas because that's how quickly it goes by. And, and it was really, really hard for me watching so many girls be cute and blonde and oh my god and selfies and oh my god now it's tiktok and oh my god it's this and and uh, and the and the dresses and the hats and the show me your moo moo pants all of those things I was like trying to keep up with meanwhile in the pop world these kids are singing about real shit and I'm like how am I a grown woman and Sean Mendez is singing about more woke things than <laughs> me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to sing bippity-bop songs and he's singing in my blood I was saying I had to like look at that and realize like I still am important and you don't you can't you shouldn't have to worry about your age when it comes to music because you always have a perspective and what the industry used to do we will not allow them to do that today
0: yeah and with age you just get so much more experience i mean i'm 23 i think i'm young and i I have heard multiple times, especially in Nashville, like, oh, they don't really like to sign women past 23 to 25. And I'm like, whatever. I feel like I am just starting to create the kind of music that I want and in my vibe and finding my people. So I'm like... I, I don't, don't know if
2: I'd want, want to sign an artist that young because that's yeah, a lot of... I didn't know like, what I was
0: doing six months ago. Like, I am a completely different person now. I still like, don't know what I'm I, doing. You know, that seems
1: like a ridiculous point to hinge a whole mm-hmm. career off of. And, and maybe it's partly that the, the whole industry, the system is based on, like you pointed out, Mickey, being able to manipulate artists into whatever, like mold mm-hmm. them into whatever form you need them to be in, in order to make your label money. And it, it, people are more moldable when they're really young. The older they get, the more they know themselves, and yeah. the less they're going to take crap from people. Yeah. And um, so in the process of just being vulnerable and open and honest in your songwriting and in your music, Mickey, has, have you had fears about that? Like, how does it feel to be so much of an open book in front of the world? Do you, do you stress about that at all? You know,
2: I stress, I, so when we released Black Like Me, I'm not kidding, I sat in this bed right here, terrified of disappointing people. There is a different pressure when you do start feeling those eyes on you like that. Cause like, it's easy to be like, I want my shot. I want my chance in the comfort of the studio with you and Karen. But once reality starts setting in and it is terrifying, but at the same time, I'm free. Like I'm not sitting here worried about disappointing someone if I've already told you I am, you know? Like how can I disappoint, I'm showing you. Like I've had a lot of experiences and I feel like we all have messed up pasts. No, not not one single person has some perfect life. And I don't relate to people that pretend like everything is great. And I don't know how the rest of the, I mean, people can like whatever they like but for me i need the nitty gritty i need the real i want to talk to people that that aren't afraid to be like yeah i had a fucked up day today like that's who i that's who i'm motivated by because when i'm able to see other people's struggles i feel like i'm not alone and that's the beauty of our past and I'm starting to be brave because I know there's someone out there that that needs to hear that they're not alone. And it's showing, it's, I don't know, God gave me this platform, God gave me this courage, and I'm going to do exactly what he wants me to do with it.
1: Well, that's the beauty of doing it in this time. Like the time is right for that because you have the ability to bypass all the stuff that's in your way and communicate directly with your fans and hear back from them. It's not just a one way communication anymore. It's, it's two way. And so you have this ability to have a direct impact on them with what you're doing and for them to have an impact on you back. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. I don't think that you could have done that 10 years ago. It wasn't, the, the tools weren't there. Let me
2: tell you, being in that, this pandemic, it was really loud on the internet. Every, there was so many Instagram live concerts and smiley and, and sh- showing pictures of your husband playing video games, TikTok dances. You know, there's so much noise. And after a certain point, like it was just getting more and more exhausted, exhausting and and seeing the best parts of everybody's life is exhausting. Like it's so exhausting. I don't want to hear about every time you're out with your husband and how amazing your relationship is. I don't want to hear about or see the brand new Louis Vuitton you got for yourself or you standing out in front of your designer car or um, your foreign car and how great your life is. I don't want to see that. Because it's not reality. It is not what's going to make you happy. And 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 I want real. That is what I want. I don't want all this noisy, senseless nonsense. It's bullshit. Is not real. And we deserve better.
1: So how do you see, how do you envision things moving forward for women, for you? Like, what do you want to manifest out of this?
2: I'm going to manifest that women are going to get so fed up with the treatment within this industry that we are going to band together and lift each other up out of this space. I want you guys to really look at this whole black girl magic movement. Black women have got each other. They will freaking support you, show up, they've got you. Now we need the women in the country music industry to do the same. And until we've got that country girl magic going on, we're not gonna get anywhere. Like, you've got to quit being scared that you're not going to get your opportunities. And then because of that, shun other women. Because the reality of it is, is we're never going to get these opportunities. They're not here. Where are they? Please tell me where they are.
0: I'm putting my energy 100% behind that. And I think it just serves a good purpose to say that to every listener out there right now that was... A specific direct call to action to you if you are listening to this podcast you are a part of this community and you have a voice so we are calling on you to use it
2: you have to use your voice like you can't be scared that someone is not gonna support you what's wrong with you saying that the industry is tougher for women yeah.
0: and if you don't work in this industry and if you aren't an artist or a writer that's okay Like we were talking this whole podcast, there are so many platforms and different ways to use your voice. You can request songs to be played. You can tweet people. You can comment. You can engage in their content. You can support it. You can call for more of it. And I think in this time especially, we've seen so much just how grassroots movements can really cause positive change. So look at the LBGTQ
2: community. Absolutely. Now women women need to do that legitimately for each other in this industry. Period.
1: Yeah. Amen. Mm. Ah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That
0: is the perfect <laughs> place to end with our rapid fire, I think. You could not have put it better.
1: So question number one is, um, who is your favorite creator right now?
2: Um, I love Ava DeVarne. She's a um, producer. She produced When They See Us and she is such a huge advocate. Issa Rae is another one. Black women that are really p- getting more black actors and actresses chances in Hollywood. That's, those are my favorite. Love it. So what
0: is your favorite trend at the moment?
2: Um, I think TikTok. Have you been doing some TikToks? I have not. No. <laughs> I have not, but I I I just I like it because anybody can become this viral sensation on there. It's not like you have to put on a whole bunch of makeup. It's just like, you know, it's just normal people doing silly shit. All
1: right, what about a trend that you wish would stop?
2: Oh, freaking insta models with their freaking lips and ass shots my god
0: (laughs) all right what about the last time that you failed
2: maybe even a couple of hours ago this hair is a failure
0: (laughs) it's the beauty of zoom i feel like it's it's kind of like a little blur effect where you know i I put the
2: little enhance my appearance (laughs) Yeah, I put that in my appearance a little
0: bit. I haven't put makeup on in like
1: weeks. I was like, I don't know if I remember how to do this. Uh. (laughs) Okay, our final question. So if you could go back in time and visit yourself at any point, what advice would you give yourself?
2: I would go back to when I first moved to Nashville and I would tell myself, to completely be yourself, and no matter what anybody says, follow your heart. I know that sounds cliche, but as an artist, we always know who we are from the very beginning. And we let all of these other people get in our heads of that. And I, I would have told myself to keep going in that exact direction that you're going, because you're going to find it. It's beautiful. Awesome.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you, Mickey. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. And I just love talking to you. And I knew you would have so much wisdom. On yes. This show, so. Thank you so I much. You. We love
0: you. Thank you for sharing your evening. It was so great to meet you.
1: To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women.
0: Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFors,
1: co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any artists or songs referenced in the episode in our episode notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode.
0: We'll see you next time on The The Table. Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let him stop you
1: Stop you, don't, don't let him stop Stop you, don't let him stop, stop Don't let him stop Don't let stop you